Thank you so much, Natalie, for those prayers. Also, just a note, uh, Tuesday night, we have our upper room session right here where we just really uh, invite the presence of the Holy Spirit, whoever has a word, reading of scripture, a prayer. Uh, it's at 6.30 on Tuesday. Uh, just emphasis on the worship and prayer and being led by the Spirit. So I want to invite you all here if you feel so led. So, <clears throat> Curtis was the sophomore at one of the colleges that I was serving as Ivy staff, kind of a college pastor, and, and I really liked Curtis. He was just a really friendly, easygoing guy. Um, he did not identify himself as a Christian. He really uh, hung out with a number of the Christian students that we were serving that were in our university chapter. And so he did a lot of stuff with us, a lot of fellowship. He was friends. I think he was, lived in the, uh, on a floor with some of the Christian guys and so forth, and yet didn't identify himself as a Christian, hung out. And I got to have a number of conversations with Curtis, and it turns out that he didn't really have any big issues with Christianity. In fact, no significant doubts or, or questions that, you know, he was like, yeah, I, that's good. And I remember in, in particular this one walk across the campus, and I'm like, Curtis, you don't really have those issues. How come you just don't become a Christian? And he said, well, maybe someday, but I mean, I'm in college. I want to party. I want to I have a good time, right? I want to become a Christian, and, you know, there, at a certain level, I really appreciated his answer, right? It's just, just honest and straightforward, and, right? He just, like, was looking for a good time. And I was wondering about if I handled that question well, that if Jesus would have been walking with Curtis in that moment, what would have Jesus said? We've been in this series of asking whatever questions, if you got to have coffee with Jesus and there was just one question that you asked, whether personally or in a grand sense. And I thought about this. I don't know, maybe some of us would ask this question. Jesus, why can't I just do what I want to do? Why can't I just like love who I want to love? Why the rules? Why can't I just sleep with the ones I want to sleep with or or, or smoke the things I want to smoke, or, or drink at, at whatever frequency I want, right? Why can't I dream my own dreams? Why can't I, I be who I want to be? Why does it have to be connected to you? In other words, why, why, why these kind of boundaries and, and rules and, and, and ways in which we should live? You know, it's not just Curtis or, or non-Christians that I've seen ask that question. I have noticed that sometimes Christians will reach a moment, I, I've seen this in a number of folks and couples, where they just kind of get tired of living the life. They, they just, it's not that they stop believing, right? They, they just decide, I, I would rather sleep in on a Sunday morning. I, I don't... I would rather just kind of do the things. I'm just, gonna, I'm just not going to participate. I don't want to serve or, or sacrifice. I, I just want to be focused on my own deal, at least for a while. 
And maybe some of you have experienced that. I, I think if we're honest, maybe I'm the only sinner in the room. But on occasion, I've thought, wouldn't it be easier if we just separated what we believe from how we live? <laughs> Can I be like, Jesus, I'm good with you. Yeah, I believe you died on the cross. Right? Yeah, I'm yes. But now I'm just going to do what I want to do. Wouldn't that be easier? Like, what would Jesus say to that? I, I think the short answer is he would say, well, you can. I created you free. All right, I think that's it. That's the sermon where that's the answer to the question. So worship team, come on up. And where you've asked for... So maybe a little bit deeper of an answer. And, and I was, you know, I, I didn't have a particular scripture as I was thinking about these questions, and yet I felt drawn to a familiar story in the life of Jesus in, in Luke chapter 19, if you've brought your Bibles. And, and most of us have heard the story, at least if we were in, in, in Sunday school class. It, it's the story where, where Jesus is walking and he sees this tax collector in a tree. You know the story, Zacchaeus. And, and, and I remember reading early and finding this story. It's so short. It's really quick. And there are some peculiar aspects about this story that I've wondered about and, and asked. And, and I found that in a weird kind of random way, it addresses these questions of why can't I just do the things I want to do. So let's read it. It's in Luke chapter 19. We will have it on the, the screens for you. And, and Jesus is, is going towards Jerusalem, but he's going from city to city. And there's oftentimes crowds that gather around and are celebrating and exciting as he's journeying towards Jerusalem. He's in, he enters Jericho the city of Jericho, Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He, Jesus, has gone to be with the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus, he stood up and said to the Lord, perhaps back at his home, perhaps he had a, a party, invited his other friends as some other tax collectors had done and celebrating Jesus, he stands up and he says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. 
Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, I don't know about you, but there's some peculiar elements to this, like that, that seem to not make sense. First, Jesus could have chosen anyone in the crowd in Jericho that he's coming in, and he decides to choose the most despised individual in the crowd, right? Maybe even a prostitute would have been better, yes? But, but he chooses not just a tax collector who's hated and he's, those tax collectors were extorting the Jewish people, but the chief tax collector, like he was probably over other tax collectors. He was extorting the extortioners, right? He was the bad dude hated. And why did Jesus choose him? Peculiar. Second thing is, why did Jesus cross all cultural boundaries of hospitality and if essentially invites himself over for dinner? Right? I, I did that a couple of times when I was nine. Right? Hey, what's your mom having for dinner? Yeah, can I come over? Yeah, that way. And Jesus just does that. And then Zacchaeus' response. Why? He, right, he gives, he, he's this man of wealth, and he gives uh, half of his possessions. Jesus, he didn't do a, Jesus didn't do a miracle in his house, right? He, he didn't save Zacchaeus. He didn't, he didn't do anything. He just has dinner. He invited himself over. And now he's like, I'm changing my life. Jesus must have ate that dinner really well. I don't, what was impressive about it? And then finally, there was no sinner's prayer. There was no explaining about integrity and love. There was no explaining of how he would die on the cross, and yet Jesus pronounces salvation in this household? That's peculiar, isn't it? I would say the, the key, I think the key to understanding the story is recognizing that the act of climbing a tree by Zacchaeus was an act of faith, was an act of seeking, was an act that represented in Zacchaeus's heart this desire for God. He's not hurting. He's not in need. He's not crying out, help, mercy, healing, right? He wasn't blind. None of that. And yet this, this wealthy man who was probably living in the upper echelon of society, right? The upper 2%, 3%, at least of the Jewish people, he doesn't need. And yet this act of climbing the tree was this idea of Faith, this yearning, and Jesus recognized it as an act of faith. Can you imagine, just for a moment, Jesus walking with his disciples into Jericho, and there's crowds and saying, and, and maybe he sees Zacchaeus in the tree, and he's like, hey, John, look at that guy. He's in the tree. His name's Zacchaeus. 
And John's like, yeah, what? he looks ridiculous up there. In fact, he looks well, I think he's a tax collector. He, he absolutely looks ridiculous up there. Jesus is like, yeah, I know, isn't it great? Isn't it awesome that he did that? And he says, John maybe said, hey, hey, is he one of your followers that I don't know about Jesus? No, but he's going to be. We're going to have dinner at his house tonight. Maybe John saying, you know, Jesus, it probably wouldn't make a difference if I told you if we have dinner at a tax collector's house, it's really going to upset the Pharisees. Jesus, yeah, no, it would make no difference. I, I know that, John, right? Okay, and you imagine just him walking, and I imagine Jesus getting to Zacchaeus with this big smile on his face. Oh, Zacchaeus, <laughs> you look ridiculous. Come down. I'm going to have dinner at your house today. Jesus recognized a heart. And this is a principle in the New Testament that I think is, is it's a truth of Scripture. It's a promise both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Old Testament, especially Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your Heart. Jesus saw beyond the wealth and the condemnation. He saw the heart of someone seeking after God. New Testament, the author of Hebrews says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Remember, we've talked about this. Jesus is looking for faith, both back then and now, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to me, comes to him, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We've talked about this, right? Jesus asks questions all the time. He asks questions that he knows the answer of already. Why does he ask questions? He's looking for faith. He's seeking to pull out Faith. Friends, I want to suggest just back then when he was ministering, he was looking for faith in the hearts of the people. And right now, he's looking for faith in your heart and in mine. He's looking for hearts that are yearning and seeking for more. Whether you're wealthy, whether you're not, whether you've got a need and you're coming, or you're just doing all right, he's looking for that sense, that heart of faith. Zacchaeus reminds me a little bit of my own story, the story of Zacchaeus, that, that um, I was raised in the suburbs of Chicago, and I don't have like some powerful testimony. I wasn't in a gang. You know, I wasn't addicted to drugs. I was a suburbanite kid with good parents, right? And I just was in high school and my family was Christian, but I wasn't really, really interested in anything in high school. In fact, the only thing I was interested in was having a good time. And so my, I think my siblings have been waiting for me to tell you all this. It's been like over a decade now. So in high school, I was pulled into three different police stations. But not because I was rebellious. I was just being stupid, right? 
It was, just, it was all alcohol-related, possession, minor in alcohol. My friends and I were going to this big party and outdoors and undercover cop. Got, we got in a bar, you know, nothing. I, I remember my, my parents, they were counselors and social workers, and, and the sage wisdom that came from my father the third time he picked me up from the police station. He's like, Eric, if you're doing something stupid and the police come, run. Yes, Dad, yes. I have from now on, the rest of my high school career, if there was any kind of, I was like, God, I wasn't waiting for friends, wasn't asking, I was gone, right? Right? I wasn't really rebellious. There wasn't this huge need. I, I didn't have an ailment or anything like that. I, I was just, in the suburbs, I was just having a good time. I went to a state school, right? In the state school, known for partying. It seemed to be a good fit, right? I joined a social fraternity, right? That was all good. But there's this, this lingering thing. I don't know how profound it was, but I was just, I was kind of bored. And I went to college. And I'm like, is there more than just a good time? I mean, it's fine and all. I'm probably going to do more of it. But like, is there something more? Like, am I, am I missing it? There's, there's got to be more depth to life. And so you know what I did? I climbed a tree. Not literally. There's some guys doing a Bible study in my dorm. And, and it, they, they were walking through the Gospel of John and they invited me. I was like, sure, yeah. And I went and, and honestly, God bless him, he, he was a student. He couldn't really link two thoughts together, so it was a super confusing Bible study, right? And yet, for the first time, I was reading the Gospel on my own. And when I read the words of Jesus that he invites his disciples, it's like I heard him invite me to follow him. And I was like, wait, who, me? I'm just a, a kid from the suburbs, Chicago Heights. I, I would say that this leads to a moment that we see in Zacchaeus. He has this moment, I would call it a who am I moment. Like he engages, he is engaged by the one true living God. What was happening is, is that Zacchaeus is taking steps of faith and Jesus meets him personally. Reads Romans 4.12, Jesus also pronounced Zacchaeus as an, a child of Abraham, but he wasn't really saying, you know, he's Jewish too. What he was saying is he's a person of faith as well. Romans 4.12, and he is also the father of the circumcised, talking about Abraham, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk 
in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. When I ask you this question, have you, have you ever climbed a tree for the Lord? Have you ever done something kind of ridiculous for him? Have you ever just expressed, because I, I want to know more, Lord. I, I want more of you. I believe that the promise of those who seek me earnestly will find me. That's not just a one and done deal. That is a promise for as we live the Christian life that he invites us to climb trees again and again to receive more of him. The, that who am I moment is not just an initial moment. It's meant to be that moment that we experience the, the presence and the closeness of Christ that he's inviting us to. That phrase is from David in the Old Testament when he's praying. 2 Samuel 7.18, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this Far. It's this beautiful prayer. He goes on to say, how great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. There is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. Remember who David was. He was this insignificant shepherd. He was the, the youngest of a large family, barely noticed, barely counted. And yet God plucks him out of obscurity and makes him a warrior, a worshiper, a leader, and then ultimately a king of his chosen people. And then David probably had prayed this many times. We just get it recorded. Later in his life, he says, God, who am I? Think about Zacchaeus for a moment. Like when he knew that Jesus was coming into town, he would have thought there is no way that Jesus is going to notice me, let alone hang out with me. There, there is no, yeah, but I'm just going to, I want to see him anyways. I'm just going to jump in there. And then Jesus stops and probably with that huge smile says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to have dinner at your house. Zacchaeus is like, who am I? Do you know I'm a chief tax collector? Can you imagine him going home if he's married? Honey, get ready. Jesus is coming. Jesus who? The, the tax collector Jesus? No, the Jesus. The one that lives at the end of the... No, the guy coming in, Jericho. Zacchaeus, were you drinking at the parade? What's going on? No way. Who are you? is noticed by Jesus. This who and I moment. I think the story of Zacchaeus teaches us that every day, ordinary people like you and I can have that who am I moment with Jesus. That every day, ordinary people he promises you that if you earnestly seek him, you will find him. 
thinking of the song. Some of you recognize the song, Mark Hall. Um, he's the lead singer of uh, Casting Crowns. And I put at the bottom of your outline just the opening verse of that song. Let me just read it to you. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Isn't that gorgeous? Beautiful. Me personally, I got in the Bible study and I felt like, who am I that you would know me? I'm just a, a freshman in college, just partying too much. And yet it felt like he was saying, I want you to walk with me. It's a journey, it's a relationship. I want to speak into your life. And I was like, sign me up. I didn't know this was possible. I thought you just wanted to punch my card into church and, and try and be a good person and be nice and, and, and toss a couple of bucks in the offering plate. I was really bored with church, so I rarely went, right? And yet, if you're talking about this relationship that... that the creator of the world would know me and have dinner at my house if I invited him. Sign me up. You know, I didn't stop doing the things, so I did stop partying and doing all that. But I didn't stop doing all those things because I really wanted to be a better Christian or follow more rules. I only stopped doing those things because of that relationship that he was offering me. And I didn't want to do anything that would mess up that relationship. I don't want to brag or anything, but I keenly discerned that God did not want me to get drunk every weekend. It was... I mean, I was that aware of his will at that moment, that early in my life, right? You see, I, I didn't want to do stuff that got in this, in the way there. I think partly of asking the question is also this answer that we see in Zacchaeus that salvation isn't about simply a decision. That salvation is a, a way of life, a, a relationship with the one true living God. Zacchaeus makes two commitments. And those two commitments, first is, is one of repentance. It's restitution. He says, again, he doesn't experience a miracle. All Jesus does is invite himself over to his living room. And from that, Jesus doesn't say, I want to talk to you about integrity, all the people that you've cheated. I want. No. Zacchaeus is like, up to four times, I'm going I'm to give to anyone I've cheated. 
Can you imagine the smile on Jesus' face in that moment? And then somehow Zacchaeus gets it that he says, and he makes a, a life change commitment. He says, I'll take half of my possessions and I'll give it to the poor. Now instead of extorting from the poor, he's going to live a generous life. Why in the world would Zacchaeus do that? Just because he had that, who am I? That relationship with Christ. Christ knew him and loved him, associated with him in the midst of his brokenness and sin. And Zacchaeus says, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to live it right. You know, David, Paul says this in in Philippians 2.12. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling in this holy reverence in your relationship with God. That's how you work out how you live. Psalm 119.10, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands, that, that seeking of God in the day-to-day that also is related to living life the way that God designed it to be lived, living life the way that God died on the cross, living the good life, the kingdom life he has for us. David's uh, response Psalm 27.1, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? If I've got this here, who's going to touch me here? You see, David figured it out. That the, the life isn't about rule following about seeing how much can I do and still okay with God. Life is about this relationship that flows. And then I want to live it the way that will empower and feed and bring greater intimacy in the relationship with God. That's why Jesus gives us this new command, a new command I give you. Now, you've got the Ten Commandments. You've got a lot of commandments in the Old Testament. But here, this new command, this is absolutely what you should do. Love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. As I have loved you, take your cues from how you live from this relationship. Let this be your light and your stronghold. I'm going to leave you with this final story of uh, a person that's uh, actually one of my favorite people on the face of the earth. So I was uh, really, a number of years ago, a decade ago, super struggling, really wrestling. And I realized all the things that were happening to me, I needed I need to process deeply. And I thought about entering into to counseling, 
uh, Christian counseling, and I thought, no, I've heard about this deal that's a little bit different. Why don't I try it? It's called spiritual direction. And uh, it's it's a discipline that mostly has been traditionally within Catholicism, but now more and more Protestant churches and leaders are recognizing the value of spiritual direction where you have kind of a, a mentor who's listening as you share and process what you're struggling with, the things. They're listening for the voice of the Spirit in the midst of your daily life. They're asking questions. They're praying with you, those kind of things. So I was introduced to Sister Mary Colleen. It turns out she's a Benedictine nun. She agreed to be my spiritual director. And I was thinking, boy, talking about not doing the things I want to do, like nuns and priests, they would be on the far end of that spectrum, right? They have to take vows of of chastity and uh, celibacy and, and poverty and obedience, right? They have to like really not do the things they want to do. And at one level, you look at those vows and you go, why would anyone choose to take vows like that? Like all the things that uh, us typically would desire and long for and want, right? Marriage and family and a career and all that. So I asked Sister Mary Colleen, like, what led you to, to these vows? Turns out she was a... A young adult, she was a a cardiovascular nurse. She was over a a unit of 20 beds that they were um, really significant work. She was in her career. She was thriving. In in one uh, moment in her life, she was engaged to be married. She was this practicing Catholic. She was, you know, doing all the things. And she said, what it was for me is the, the... the patients that we were over and that we're caring for, some of them made it and and some of them didn't, especially those who are dying. I I got to see in many of the patients, not all, but this faith in the Lord that was amazing, it was beautiful, that, that carried them. Again, whether they were passing away or whether they survived and She said, I realized I didn't have that faith. And I longed for it. I desired it. And so she started taking steps of faith, like beyond just church attendance and all those things, and started to pursue. And as she grew in her relationship, with the Lord, she was realizing that all the things that she was desiring in the world were really barriers to this vibrant faith. And for her, it's not for all of us, for her, the way of that Benedictine faith to to give all of those things up, those areas that she was thriving in, was her journey to embrace this vibrant life-giving relationship with the Lord. In fact, David would say this, um, your life, it's Psalm 63. I think I might have skipped it in Kate. Yeah, he would say this, I've seen you in the sanctuary 
and beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. What a faith. David, I can only understand this peculiar passage of Scripture of Zacchaeus by him, Jesus. This relationship is better than anything in life. The only way I can make sense of a a Benedictine nun taking vows is that this love of Jesus is better than life. And to think this vibrancy, this relationship is available no, no matter who you are, old or young, black or white, rich or poor, that the living God is offering this kind of relationship and invite, well, sign me up for that. I don't really want to talk about rules. Lord, how much can I get away with that I'm still okay? And he says, yeah, you can if you want. But Lord, teach me to live that this would be the most important thing, that this would be this love affair that's better than everything in my life. If you'll take just an ordinary kid from the suburbs Sign me up. Let's pray. So would you just take a moment between you and the Lord? What's he saying to you in this moment? There's some of you, some of you, whether online or in the sanctuary, you've never climbed a tree for the Lord. Maybe you've been part of the crowd that said, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but you've never just said, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to, I don't know, fast. I'm going to take a day away. I'm going to. I long for that who am I moment. I have never had that. The Lord's inviting you to that moment. Who am I? Just between you and him, would you just figure out what would it look like for you to take that step of climbing a tree? I think there's some of us here this morning, we've had those moments and yet we're in a season that Calvin prayed about earlier that maybe it's been a dry season. We haven't prayed. We haven't sought. We haven't read scripture for a while. Kind of wallowed in our, our doubts and Maybe the Lord's calling you to afresh find a tree that you can climb. 
and say, Lord, I, I want that kind of relationship with you, and I don't have it. If this is really true, if this is available to me, help me. What, what should I do? I, would you bring me again into that who am I moment? For maybe some of us, we know right away all the things that have been more important than the relationship. Maybe it's a relationship that's become more important than our relationship with God. Maybe with a child or with a a parent. Maybe it's a career's gotten in the way that we wouldn't pray that prayer that David did. Your love is better than life. Maybe it's a hobby or something distracted. And it's that thing we need to give to him in a climbing the tree kind of way and say, Lord, I want you to be number one. Would you just take a few moments between you and the Lord and just listen for his voice? for calling us out individually that you want a relationship with each one of us that you're calling our names you gave us our name and what we can do is respond what we can do is say yes to you say yes individually we can say yes as a group Father I pray that everyone here in this sanctuary says hallelujah to that that everyone at home says hallelujah to that and that we can join all the voices in heaven singing praises to you thank you for that